Hello, and welcome back to Urbanize. Uh, my name is Wally Brown. I am the host of the Urbanize podcast and owner of Equity Urban. Now, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Fabiola Casas. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. It's so yeah. nice to see you again. You too. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Can you can you tell our audience a little bit about uh, what you do? Yeah. So um, I am currently a financial assistance program specialist with the city of Portland Water Bureau. And I have been in this role for um, a little bit over two and a half years and still getting used to the government sector. So it's been a lot of learning. But yeah, that's currently what I'm doing. I think that's great. And are you are you currently living in Portland? I I am. Yeah, I'm kind of between um, Portland and Gresham at the moment, and looking to move back into Portland uh, once I find a, a good housing situation. Yeah, affordability and availability. Oh my gosh! Crazy yeah, right now. It's so wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> thanks so much, Fabiola. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, yeah, where, where have you lived like before Portland? I have lived in so many different places. So I'll just kind of give a general run through of what that has looked like for me. I was born in Mexico City. So I was there as um, a young kid and I came to Oregon, I would say the Portland metro area, moved around for a little bit, and my parents ended up getting a, a house in Gresham, so that's basically where I grew up, and then for undergrad, I moved to Seattle, so I was there for a few years. After undergrad, I moved to Togo in West Africa because I did the Peace Corps, and so I was in uh, a small town called Mpoti, uh, and was there for the two years. And then after I completed that, that time, I moved back to Portland to just figure out what's next and was mostly based in Gresham during that transition time, working in East County, doing social services. And then I fell in love with New York City, the city of my heart. I love New York City and moved there really without secure employment but I just I was talking to people and I moved into a community house and loved it and then uh, when I was expecting my son I moved to Chicago which is where his dad's family is from so I was there for a, a little while and I uh, had my son and worked and then I came back to Portland uh, again mostly in East County and Gresham and doing some, I was a Sunsite manager out in the Reynolds School District. So I was there for a little while, for a couple of years, and then made this random move to London. It sounds so random in like the trajectory of my life, but my, uh, my son's dad had an opportunity out there. So we moved out there together and, and I was there for about a year and a half, also working and doing some civic engagement, youth programming stuff. And then I came back to Portland and that was my most recent move coming back to Portland. Um, and this is where I'm at now. 
I think that was great. You've been all around. Wow. I've been all around. <laughs> what has been your favorite place so far? No judgment. Ooh, oh, by far New York City. But now that I'm back in Portland and getting connected with some really, really awesome people and inspired by some of the work that, that folks are leading locally, I, I do feel excited to be back here and, and be part of that. I can feel that. Well, thanks, Fabiola. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Okay. So I'm wondering um, what that what what has led you to work in the position that you have today? Yeah, so in all of the places that I've moved to, I've mostly done like social services, youth work, uh, and that so that's mostly my background is working with nonprofits, doing a lot of school-based stuff. And when I came back to Portland, I got a job through Portland Public Schools working at Cleveland High School. So I was a student success advocate there for um, about a year. And during that time, just trying to figure out what, you know, what my professional development was gonna look like and talking to a lot of people. I talked to a lot of people and <laughs> so many friends were giving me ideas of what I could do with the experience that, that I had at that point. And I had a friend uh, who was at the Water Bureau and in 2018 with, there was a big expansion to the financial assistance program at the Water Bureau and they were looking to build a small ad admin team that was going to focus a lot on community engagement and kind of getting the word out and with um, mostly around, you know, the expanded services that, that were being rolled out. And so uh, my friend helped kind of guide me through, this is what working in government looks like. This is my experience at the Water Bureau. And because of my background with, and connection to local social service networks in Portland and uh, in the metro area, I uh, thought that it would be a really good fit. And so the hiring folks at the Water Bureau thought so too <laughs> and brought me on board. And so that's, it, it does feel a little bit random that I landed in, in government, that I have landed in government and in, in utilities in particular, but it, as I learn more about it, I see how much of a need there is to build that bridge between government services and and local communities. And um, and so I've been able to bring that perspective and it's it, it seems, and I'm excited to build with other folks who who are also uh, bridge builders in that in that sense and kind of thinking creatively of how to do that better through through the services that we're providing. I think that's beautiful. And kind of with that, like, Okay, so you see, I see there's opportunity. So what do you think are like the roles or like responsibilities that like your position, like your position or even like government officials, like mm -hmm. what's the responsibility towards like, you know, tending to community? Oh, it's huge. And there's such a, a big gap. A lot of folks who have, who are, who have been in government for a long time and kind of built their their professional skills and, and their approach through government are really struggling to figure out how can we better connect. And a lot of folks just don't have that firsthand experience or don't have a lot of shared identities with 
the most, you know, with marginalized communities, which are the, the folks who are, I mean, they're marginalized by government and institutions. And so kind of by definition, they just haven't been engaged or, or serviced in, in a way that is, um, that is equitable or just in any way. And so what's exciting is that there's a lot of folks that are asking that question of how can we do this better? And it's just a matter of connecting with folks who, who have a, a variety of experience and connections to different community groups that can, that can make those connections in a way that's actually gonna move us forward and, uh, and closer to, to equity and, and just, and a more socially just city. I can feel that. I can feel that. And so I'm wondering, okay, so with that, how do you all, how do you like interface with like planners, you know? Like, yeah. 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 When, when it comes to planning and, and as I was thinking about this, in my role in particular, being at the, at the Water Bureau and learning about the infrastructure that, that is required to bring clean water into our into our homes into some of our public spaces and things like that i was really sitting with with how essential water is to communities well-being and health and sanitation and so when it comes to to folks building urban spaces a huge question is how are we going to create accessibility to this this essential natural element you know and as I was thinking about this I know a lot of folks think about water as a resource and and part of what I'm trying to to uh, push back against I guess is water as a commodity because mm -hmm. it's it's because, I mean, it has become commodified. And so when a lot of urban planners are thinking about what is, what are the resources, it can, it opens up this opportunity uh, or it kind of opens up, it makes a path for exploitation of land. And with that, I think comes exploitation of people because then you have control over who has access to something that should really be accessible to everybody, regardless of whether they can pay for it or not. I think that's great. And so, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, I can feel that. I, I vibe with that. And so, like, what what do you advise to you for young people who will inherit these systems, you know, and kind of become the stewards of tomorrow of it? Yeah, I think they are so crucial <laughs> in us moving forward. And something that is unfortunate about our the way that a lot of schools are still institutionalizing us is that it shuts down creativity and it doesn't and you know there are teachers or educational spaces where where curiosity and questions and pushing back is encouraged unfortunately that's just not the norm oh, yeah. and oh, so yeah. <laughs> something that becomes really easy to do is just to find the right answer or to just regurgitate the ways in which institutions are telling us that that we need to be doing our work and relating to one another. And so when it comes to what I think is beautiful about young people is that they have so many questions. And so I just, I hope that young people keep asking those, those questions and to not let adults who are 
just wanting to uphold these systems that haven't been working uh, to not be afraid of that authority and to connect to people who are in alignment to that approach because it's such a heavy burden to bear on your own. So something that I really hope young people have um, put energy behind is, is building that community and those relationships with folks that are going to help sustain that, uh, that curiosity and the imagination for something different. Okay. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Earlier today, earlier today, there was another interview I did with the up and coming planner an aspiring planner. Mm-hmm. She's like, she's 18. She's, you know, mm-hmm. she's doing it. I, I think, I think you'll like beautiful. it. Yeah. Hey. I'm excited to listen. Yes. Okay. So it's great. So we're, we're hitting inception. We got, we're talking about the podcast and the podcast. <laughs> okay. So what are, what are some wishes you would have for like current leadership as we try to move community forward? I think that one of the biggest things that I hope current leadership does is to slow down. Everyone is kind of moving at a pace that doesn't make room for, for coordination, for creativity, for those questions that I'm talking about. Everyone's like, no, we have to get going to like this right answer, this right way of doing things. And we're just going and going and going and we're exhausted. And so if leadership can, can model a way to slow down and, and to make that space and to, to model like their own personal healing, which is very vulnerable. And I think in institutions and government in particular, people get really uncomfortable, especially in the Pacific Northwest, get really uncomfortable with some of those really personal, uh, like our personal journeys and processes and the ways that we struggle. Mm -hmm. And so I would really love for more leaders to be more candid about their process, you know, and, and to not be afraid of that diminishing their authority in some way oh yeah so that's that's my hope and I think that more and more folks are getting into positions of leadership that are modeling that and so I'm hopeful I think that's beautiful (laughs) I learned a new word this week that was called heterarchy Mm. like it's like different than a hierarchy it's like a more flattened form of leadership Mm -hmm. and so I love that there's a lot of visuals based on it and so I love it yes I love writing it down you said it was a model? Yeah, it's a model for decision-making. Oh, I love it. I'm going to look or, that up. Yeah, it's kind of great. I love it. Okay. So speaking of decisions, what are some of your go-to sources of data to make decisions? So that can be people, places, things, you know? you have any book recommendations for us? Yes, I am really fortunate to be surrounded by some really, really brilliant people who are just constantly finding finding connections to to different stories and and uh, ways of gathering data and um, articles and things like that. So first and foremost, I, I would say is my conversations with some of my closest friends. Um, and that just leads me down so many different paths. Uh, other than that, I, I love podcasts, which is part of the reason why I'm so excited to be here. But some of the podcasts that, that come to mind that I really love, there's one called Hood Rat to Head Wrap, which uh, doesn't have episodes too often, but when they do, they're just gems. Another one, Finding Our Way, uh, which 
uh, with Prentice um, Hemphill, I believe, and uh, that one is kind of in the, I think Adrienne Marie Brown is someone that a lot of people know, but it's kind of more in that, um, in that realm of, of healing and narrative and storytelling. Code Switch, I think, has some really good good episodes with a lot of really great history and and facts that have helped me a lot to contextualize some of the things that I that I think through. For news, I really lean on democracy now. I, I feel like their reporting is um, is I like it and I like that the perspectives that they bring in. Uh, you, Goodman. Yes, yes, yeah. I know. I I I just love the way that the questions that she asks and the folks that that they bring into the show. So, um, and you asked about books. There's a couple that I've kind of been <laughs> in it the last six months. I've been buying so many books and I don't really have a ton of time for my own reading because I'm doing, um, I'm in grad school. And so I, I have a lot of work there and but there is a couple books that I bought recently that I'm slowly making my way through and so uh, three of the ones that I'll share are Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmer and that one uh, is talks about the connection between indigenous knowledge and, and narrative uh, kind of in the relationship to science and scientific thinking and so I think that um, we need to, to do that a lot more and, and not, I think there's a lot of emphasis on, on science and facts and we need to do a lot better at listening to really ancient knowledge and, and narratives and the learning that, come, that comes through that. There's also one that I bought recently that I'm excited to read through called From Here to Equality, Reparations for Black Americans in the 21st Century. And this one's by, uh, two authors named William Darity and Kristen Mullen. And because I'm I'm looking more into, into policy making and and government programs, I'm really interested in how folks are developing reparations uh, programs and and the language that goes behind it and, and the frameworks that are supporting something that I think is really essential to to equity in, in the United States. And then the last one that I'll mention is called My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menicum. And that one I love because there's a lot of uh, body-based healing that, well, okay, so I'll say that it's it's somatic and it's embodiment um, uh, knowledge, I guess, that's shared through the book. And I, and I believe so much in being embodied in our work. Uh, regardless of, of what that is. And, and I think that something that institutions have done really well is to separate us from, from our bodies. And so I'm really interested in, in the ways that um, people through, through institutions are, are becoming, are healing and becoming more embodied. So those are some of the books that came to mind. I think that's great. Thank you, Fabiola. Yeah. I'm wondering, so with that kind of, what inspires you to keep moving forward, like in your work, in your day to day, you know? I draw so much inspiration from my interpersonal relationships and, and I just can't stress that enough because I feel like in the day to day, it's so easy to, 
to just get bogged down by by the heavy loads of of our work of the demands of of capitalism of um of racism of all of the systems of oppression it's just it's really heavy and so when i'm able to share some of those burdens with close and intimate friends it just it it creates an opportunity for me just to to find hope and 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 that inspiration to keep going i am i i lean a lot on spiritual practices as well and so recently i've in the last few years i've been learning a lot about uh around um about astrology and and leaning on um the use of tarot cards and all of that really brings a lot of it, it brings so much color into my life that i feel like i when i get really down and everything just feels um lifeless uh, those are some of the the ways that i that I, yeah, get pumped up again to keep going. I can feel that. Mm -hmm. I can feel that. And so we got, we got, we got three more for you. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. So if you had the ability to change one law today, what, what would you change? This one is a hard one. And, but I did think of two general areas that I would really focus on to start with. The first one would be looking at family laws. Um, I don't have a specific one, but something that I have been thinking a lot about is just is the way that we the legal definitions around who is family and and that just has so many implications around around the, the time that we get afforded to care for our family and whether that's our chosen family or our family that's related through blood or there's just so many barriers for to community care because of the limited and narrow definition of what a family is and so I would expand that first and foremost and then also um, I I feel like immigration laws um, and in particular when it comes to family separation and deportation are just so it's just causing so much harm and it's going to take us so long to recover from that and so um, i would i would do something to be able to stop family separation at um at the borders or because of immigration status i can feel that mm -hmm. thank you fabiola yeah oh wow okay so next one what's your what's your favorite mode of transportation and why <laughs> I, I also love this question. I had a hard time because I'll be honest, I drive a lot and I know. And I, I'm trying to set up my life in a way where I don't have to rely on my car a lot. So it's not my favorite. And I do, um, I, I do think of what my ideal would be. So the one that I landed on is walking. And the reason why I thought of that is because I part of the reason I love New York City so much is that I could have this I could walk so many places and I would go on so many different modes of transportation you know whether it's the bus or the train or hopping on my bike uh, but ultimately it was my feet getting me places <laughs> in in 
a slower type of way and that felt more connected. Um, I, if I could, if I could live in a place and I could walk to the, to my friends, to stores, to, to my workplace, I, I think I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Fabiola. <laughs> Yeah. It's funny, everybody, recently people have been starting that with like the guilt trip, they're like, oh, I strive, but I like other <laughs> So it's... convenient and awful. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll do what, like hydrogen? We have what, electric cars, then we have hydrogen cars. I saw an air-powered car like what? about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, really? it, it ran on compressed air. Huh, so, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Stuff like that tends to get killed pretty fast. They're like, what? We can't make money off of it. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? Let's buy the, let's buy the intellectual property then. Oh, man. The project. That, that, that tends to happen a lot. Yeah. Um, anyway, so with that, <laughs> not that number, capitalism notwithstanding, we're going to say, um, how do you think COVID has uh, changed your local landscape? I... I think that what I, what stands out to me the most is the way that we communicate, the way that we connect with other folks. There's just been so much, there's just been such a huge change in, in the way that we use technology, in the way that we are just in physical distance from one another. And that has a real effect on on the relationships that that we have and even in our ability to heal collectively and so um, I think that's the first thing that came to mind um, other than that this focus on physical and uh, and mental health has put has I don't know a lot of people have been thinking a lot more about that so when it comes to like our, our medical care the way that we're keeping ourselves healthy the way that we're uh and there's like and i just want to emphasize that it's both on a physical and a mental health level because i feel like a lot of people are trying to balance priorities around you know if, if i need to be close to someone but that's going to be physically risky like what am i going to do and so as people think about that and and, and we're in thinking about um community building it's, it's, I think those effects are going to be generational in the way that we, we decide that we're going to be close to people physically or how we're connecting um, through, through technology or other means. Hello, and welcome back to Urbanize. Uh, my name is Wally Brown. I am the host of the Urbanize podcast and owner of Equity Urban. Now, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Fabiola Casas. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey. Thanks for coming on. It's so yeah. nice to see you again. You too. I'm excited to be here. 